Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. We explore popular practices, songs, and ideas of the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, and I'm the president of Westminster Effects, and I also can actually feel my entire face this week. Uh, you can buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. You can join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge, and make sure you subscribe and comment and share and all that good stuff. Help us beat the algorithm because... The algorithm is trash these days. Uh, we are going to finally announce the winner for the Knox version 2. Uh, we are not joined by our Admiral John Ross, but in person I am joined by... Hey everybody, it's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church, Greer, South Carolina. And the schedule's tight. We're just going to go ahead and jump in. Uh, main topic this week is... Well... With our Inquisition post, we got a really good question from Corey Truax. What's up, uh, Troy? Or it's not Troy. Troy? You do need more coffee. What are you doing? <laughs> I combined his first and last name. <laughs> Corey. So I get called Corey all the time, so, but I, I severely doubt that Corey has ever been called Troy. <laughs> That's his new name now. From now on, Corey, so, you are known as Troy. So this, this question is from Troy, <laughs> and it's, it's similar to our... Our episode we did a long time ago about gear acquisition gear acquisition syndrome, and now you're gosh, this is all your fault. I it's can't catching. talk now. It's catching. It's contagious. Yep. Uh, so he asks, "Do I have too much ease slash comfort slash stuff? And if so, should I diminish my lifestyle and give more resources away?" So maybe this is the question: How does a Christian know when they're spending too high a share of his money on standard of living? Ease, comfort, and this is a total Corey Truax term, frivolity. <laughs> frivolity. Yes. Go listen to his podcast, by the way, Yeah. Definitely. while you're at it. It's really, really good. And uh, I listen every week, and he always does a fantastic job. So anyway, materialism mm-hmm. and resources and all that, like it's, it's no secret we live... We really do live in the most loaded <laughs> society that has ever been on the face of the earth. And I think there's good and really, really bad to it. Like we do tend toward, you could say, opulence, decadence, over the top. Uh, but there is something to be said for air conditioning. Yep. Like there's no doubt in my mind that is a blessing from God. <laughs> right. right. Uh, we can thank, uh, we can actually thank Calvinism for uh, cell phones. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell was a Presbyterian. So, (laughs) and he was trying to make the world a better place, right? Uh, So, we can, you know, we acknowledge all of these blessings, but when does it go too far? And should we be more generous as Christians living in a first world nation? Well, read the first part of Corey's of Troy's question. <laughs> of Troy's, yes. Again, uh, and he is a Cowboys fan. So, oh, there, there you go. There you go. Ble- okay. And bless his heart. Yeah. Um, do I have too much ease slash comfort slash stuff? And if so, should I diminish my lifestyle and give more resources away? That's uh, that's a great question. Yeah. Like, you know, for one thing, I would say I don't hear that question asked a lot. No. Should I diminish my lifestyle? Should I, uh, 
be more moderate, become more generous? Uh, maybe. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I, I think that's a that. It, what, what's great about this is that we're not asking this question because we ask the exact opposite question. Mm. We ask, how much can I accumulate and still be okay? How much can I store up? How much can I? Uh, right. How, how much can I fill up my barns? How much is okay to keep? When well, not? No, excuse me. How much do I have to give away? Versus asking the question, how much should I keep? Like mm-hmm. what? What? What is? What is realistic? What is? What is godly? What? What would most appropriately align with the ethics and norms of the New Testament? Yep. Like those are those are legitimate questions, and I think we have to be careful not to become formulaic in that and and applying the same standard across the board for everybody because this, this percentage period kind of thing i don't i don't think that works i think that breaks down on a lot of levels but i do think i want to law i want to start by saying i laud the question mm-hmm. should i because i what i see in the new testament what i see in the life of jesus what i see in the ministry of the apostles is this hint of not even a hint almost a glaring kind of uh I don't difference in approach to materialism and how 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 we think about material material things. Yeah. versus what's typically um how it's typically thought of in America. Yeah, where we often and I'm not meaning to get political, but our welfare state is so enormous mm-hmm. that a lot of times I think you know we move we are moved to generosity, and then sometimes that can be tamped down with, "Oh, well, the government's already taken care of that." Yep. Uh, which, which I think is to our detriment, mm-hmm. right? It's their the economic term is crowding out. You know, they're they're crowding us out in some aspects, whether it's uh, just psychologically. You know, we we see that they're doing something poorly, of course, because the government doesn't do anything well. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I think we would agree that is not the government's job, no. by and large. Um, and so what we want to see is more people asking this kind of question. Yeah, because what what we have is, a, is multiple generations of Christians uh, who sort of, so, sort of set the bar at, I pay my tithes. Mm-hmm. And then enjoy everything else, yeah, um, to the to to the fullest extent, which isn't necessarily a New Testament standard, right? I mean, it's yeah, tithing is talked about primarily in the Old Testament. Uh, it was part of the Jewish tax system, and it was law. Mm-hmm. Now we're not under law; we're under grace. And what's talked about in the New Testament, what's lauded, is generosity. Right, you know, cheerful giving, uh, and and regular, even systematic giving. Regular, systematic, cheerful giving is what I see in the New Testament, yep. and that if if you apply a standard of generosity and consistent generosity, that doesn't tithing ten percent is not going to get everybody there. For some people, ten percent is not generous at all. Right. For some people, that really is miserly. It is. Like some some people need to be thinking 15, 20 more, even more. You know, like I'm not gonna put a cap on <laughs> Well, I mean you, know? you, you throw your criticisms at him all you want, but Rick Warren and and I'm taking him at his word, 
when the purpose driven life went gangbusters and sold millions upon millions of mm -hmm. copies um by all accounts he did not change his lifestyle and he flipped tithing on its head he gave away 90 percent and lived off 10 mm -hmm. uh, because he had that much um similar with john piper in that john piper has to my knowledge never taken any of the royalties of his library's worth of books yeah. that he's authored um he gives all of that away and he's here's what he says i don't want to be rich mm -hmm. i don't want to be rich right. like and and <laughs> that like, there are so many people's brains who have just broken hearing him right that just causes your that. mind to explode and and but the question would be why doesn't piper want to be rich because what he reads in the new testament are clear warnings right to the rich about the traps of material things and greed and money and it it in in one sense i would say i don't think piper would be right to try to put that standard on everybody yes that, but his 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 example is one that we should try to emulate i think mm -hmm. without making it a across the board standard for everybody his desire to not be rich and give away as much as possible rather than keep as much as possible right. is is something that I think we ought to consider. Now, using using the example, not the exact number, uh, mm. would even be beneficial for me as a business owner as this thing grows and it and it has grown, particularly the last couple of years. Mm. And I'm with some stuff that I have planned that I'm not going to get into right now. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm forecasting significant more significant amounts more growth in the mm -hmm. future and so the the point of a christian owning a business isn't hey let's get loaded and retire at 40 mm -hmm. <laughs> it's let's build something stay kingdom minded somehow right like as uh the protestant work ethic says like all lawful uh all lawful occupations make the world a better place right yep. whether it's whether it's building guitar pedals or being a pastor or taking out the trash like all of those benefit your neighbor yes right and yep. so whether uh whether it's just me assembling things for people or if i you know have to branch out and hire someone mm. then i'm benefiting my neighbor somehow with all of that which you know it speaks to the fact that there are multiple rewards in our work in our labor yeah we we benefit our neighbor we benefit others we solve problems in the world mm -hmm. um we we resource people with things that are helpful and good uh which in many cases uh bring glory to god i mean yep. your pedals it's it's not a it's not a roundabout thing to say that your pedals uh, in in many many cases are used by people who are glorifying God. So right. you're not only meeting a need, but you're also a, a physical need as far as guitar playing goes. Yep. But you're also in uh, equipping people with tools and resources that help them lead in worship, and that's yep. that's a great thing. The, you know, regardless of you know not wanting to be rich or anything like that, but that's kind of one of the great things about the free market in mm -hmm. capitalism is you get really really rich by serving people mm. <laughs> you meet needs and every dollar is a certificate of appreciation yeah. <laughs> you can look at it that way you know i've heard piper say this and i agree with him you know almost like to 95 percent of this yeah um he says it's not a sin to make a lot of money it's a sin to keep a lot of money mm. i 
might tweak that just a little bit yeah. and say it's not a sin to make a lot of money, and it might be a sin to keep a lot of money. Right. It it really depends on your mindset. You know, Corey asks, "Should I? Should I minimize? Should I downsize? Should I moderate? You know, the amount of material things that I have." And my answer is maybe. Right. But here's what I think happens typically for Christians is we only pray about our finances when we're in lack. We don't we we maybe a better way to say it would be we re, we only really sincerely and desperately pray about our finances when we're in lack. Right. You know, when when is the last time I would ask this to all the listeners, when is the last time you prayed your face off because you had more than you ne- needed. Like how, where, where is that level of desperation is that Lord, I've worked and I've earned, you've blessed me with all this. What do you want me to do with it? Right. Because rather than just, okay, let me give my, in, in maybe in some cases, token 10% or an offering here and there, try to be generous here and there and then let me start looking at vacation homes and and nicer cars and you know country club memberships and this boat I've been eyeing you know instead of just kind of going for all that first you know it's father in heaven hallow your name your kingdom come what would you have me do with all of this right this is ultimately your stuff I'm stewarding and I think if we go to a passage in Philippians we might actually get here into this bible study we're about to do in a minute today I don't know we'll get this far but do we ever get this far no we never do (laughs) paul writes to the philippians in chapter 4 verse 10 he said i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me so there was a a, an offering that they took for him it appears and uh we're unable to get get it to him at some point uh but now for whatever reason and now they've apparently those obstacles have been removed they're getting the offering to him you you indeed you were indeed concerned for me but had no opportunity <clears throat> not that i'm speaking of being in need for i've learned in whatever situation i am in to be content that's amazing um i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound in any and every circumstance i this is where i want to pay attention to i have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need I don't know about you or the the listeners or Corey, Troy. <laughs> I I fully identify with facing hunger, mm-hmm. facing need, addressing it as a challenge that requires my attention. I don't have a whole lot of experience to pull from with facing plenty, facing abundance as if it is an urgent challenge equal to need and lack. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Paul Paul says he's learned a secret that has brought him to this place of contentment. And that secret is how it is that he faces his circumstantial realities regardless of how much abundance or lack is included in them. And you know the famous verse. He goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm -hmm. Very minimally, minimally what that means is that Paul lives in abundance and he lives in lack with the same kind of dependence on the Lord Jesus for everything. 
in one sense for daily bread. Even if he's got a week's worth of bread in his pantry, he's still depending for daily bread because stewarding abundance is equally as challenging, if not more challenging, when you consider the warnings of the New Testament with regard to abundance and riches. I would say it's a greater challenge even than facing lack and, and, and hunger because Jesus said, I'll say this and I'll let you talk. He said, blessed are the poor. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the poor. That's Luke's account of the- I can't argue with it. He said it. Yeah. Just straight up. <laughs> That's Luke's account of the Beatitudes. I think some people might disagree with me on this. I don't think we're reading Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. I think we're reading uh, a very similar sermon that Luke recorded mm-hmm. that was preached maybe on a different occasion than the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. So we, I don't want to make Matthew 5 say the same thing as Luke 11. Sure. Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is right. the kingdom of heaven. That's different than what Luke, the, the words of Jesus that Luke records in Luke 11, blessed are the poor. And then the corresponding woe, woe, caution, warning to the rich. Yeah. Yeah. You really see two different sets of temptations between people who have a lot and people who have a little. And if you think about it Ten Commandments-wise... Right, so the the person with a little may be tempted to steal, right? Like right, that's perfectly reasonable. Like it's it's a dumb thing to do. It's sinful, obviously. It's evil, but it but, makes sense. But we it makes sense. We have sense. compassion towards it, right? Uh, but when you have a lot, what you end up doing is you're tempted to break the first commandment of making that an idol, right? Yep. Yep. Where where someone without much, you know, they can. They can have God in his place, right? They're not bowing down to idols. They can honor their father and mother and on down. And then it gets to those later commandments where they have an issue. Yep. Um, And then one other one one thing before we move on to the Inquisition, um, I mean, there is there's such a balance in Scripture with this kind of stuff, right? Where you have in the Proverbs, uh, it's a good thing to leave an inheritance to your kids. Absolutely. Um, it's a good thing to be wise with your money and to grow your nest egg and that kind of thing. Yep. It's what are you depending on, right? Yeah, and it's how you see your stuff. And I think that's why I say when Corey asks, should I diminish, should I you know, remove some of this comfort and ease, my response would be maybe. What I don't yep. want that to become for Corey or myself or you or anybody yep. is an exercise in self-righteousness. Yes. Where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because it's the right thing to do, and, I'm, and, and in the process, my ha- own heart is lauding you know, my efforts, as opposed to, Lord, what would you have me do? And, and I, I wouldn't put it past the Lord to say, give a large portion of this away, mm-hmm. nor would I put it past him to lead a person to, uh, hey, store up and invest for future giving. Yeah. Some of which might be an inheritance to your children. Uh, others might be leaving an estate to an, a ministry of some kind or a portion of your mm-hmm. state. So, like, there, there are all kinds of ways the Lord could lead us to steward his resources. The question is, do you see those resources as such? Yeah, and as, do you, as his. As his, and do you see yourself as a steward, not an owner? Yeah. Well, let's move on to the Inquisition. 
we're all short on time and stuff, so we might as well get to it because we got we we have two questions and they're fun. Good. And this is the Inquisition, where you ask us questions via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Oxology Podcast Lounge, and we answer them on the fly, as is tradition. We start with Brian Morris, and he asks, if a cult were to come to Greer, or Lincoln in John's case, but he's not here, so if a cult were to come to Greer and begin to have significant influence on the community, how would your church respond? Pitchforks, torches, protest signs, (laughs) (laughs) sermon series, uh, blog posts, uh, whatever. So that's a good question. And, you know, I kind of, the way my mind went is we actually kind of already have a significant word of faith influence in the Greenville area. That's a good point. Which, which I would call a cult. Uh, mm-hmm. I won't. I won't name specific churches right now, but uh, there is a lot of word of faith, um, and we do have a pretty prominent New Apostolic Reformation presence. Yep. Um, which I would also consider a cult. Um, and then, of course, like we do have your typical Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, but they're not. They're not all that prominent. Nobody mm-hmm. really cares. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of thing. So. Um, maybe, maybe even just go from the fact that we have a lot of word of faith and NAR influence in the area. Mm. Um, how do you deal with that? Mm. Um, I usually deal with it through memes. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, it's interesting. Last night we were, the elders of res church were taking, I've mentioned this, I think on the podcast, we're taking a a training course for elders Mm -hmm. right now with Brian Alkin in the river. And, um, last night we were wrestling with the, the, the second semester is on the ministry of prayer. And so we've been talking about all aspects of prayer this semester. And last night was on, you're going to love this praying in the spirit, Yeah, which it was fascinating to to see you know a lot of times people what regardless of what denomination they come from when they hear the phrase praying in the spirit they immediately think of praying in tongues right well what's interesting is that paul doesn't doesn't use that phrase nor does the new testament use that phrase in every case as a reference of as in, of praying in tongues mm-hmm. for example in the book of jude what's the what's the primary focus of the book of jude is contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Exactly. It's contending for sound doctrine. And in Jude verse 20, he says, he talks about praying in or with the Spirit, which it's not exactly the same thing, but it's similar to how we might think about praying in the name of Jesus, praying in accordance with what we know about the person and work of Jesus. Yeah. In the same way, we can pray in the Spirit, pray in accordance with what we know about the person and work of the Spirit. And Jude talks about praying in the Spirit in, in the context of praying about doctrine. And mm. he that's what he means by praying in the Spirit. He's not talking about praying in tongues. He's talking about praying in accordance with the person and work of the Spirit. In other words, depending on the Holy Spirit in prayer to grow in our doctrine and defend doctrine. So to answer the question, 
after last night, <laughs> my thought is if we have, which we do have cultic type things going on in this area, but his example seems a little bit more dramatic. Yeah. So let's just say that a, 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 a new cult moves into town, starts gaining a lot of traction and influence. Almost like a Jonestown kind of thing, maybe. I, I think we would call the church to prayer. Yeah. Let's pray in the spirit, asking him to help us contend. And that word contend in the book of Jude, it's it's it, it's literally a reference to hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. It's you fight it out. You fight it out. So I'm not suggesting that that means we grab pitchforks and 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 the like and and signs and protests and all those kinds of things. But in some way, I believe the Lord would lead us to contend for the faith, right. contend for sound doctrine, contend for those who might be, as Jude would say, being lured away and enticed. Right. So that's where I'd start, yeah. um, at least. Yeah, it's kind of similar. My answer is similar to your answer to Corey slash Troy. Yeah. Is maybe. Yeah. Right? Maybe you preach outside their gatherings, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm I'm reminded of uh, what James White and Jeff Durbin do during the LDS general conference Mm -hmm. is they'll hand out tracts and have evangelical conversations with people. Yep. Um, Or even what... uh, Durbin does with uh, End Abortion Now, mm. where they preach the gospel outside abortion mills, mm. and they do have people convert on the spot, and they do have women who say, yeah, I'm not going to kill my baby today. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a right way and a wrong way to approach all of that, of course, and I think Durbin and his crowd in that regard really get that right, yeah. where, where they're blunt about how sinful it is, but they come in with the grace of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that you know what you win people with is what you win them to. And if you win them with grace, that's what you've won them to, right? It's, yep. But if you win them with, I'm just going to get on a megaphone and let you have it, yep. that's what you've won them to. Yep. Um, not that there's no place mm-hmm. for getting on a megaphone. I'm just saying, like if, if you turn into a... Uh, Instead of a street preacher, it's more of a street screecher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we're going to have a bad time. You know, what, taking Corey Troy's question <laughs> and this one and putting them together, you know, anytime the New Testament is not explicit in exactly what we need to do in in a given situation, we have sort of a, a, a biblical principle to follow or standard that we look to. But it doesn't necessarily give us the exact application. I think that 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 is where we need to be so prayerfully dependent. You know, it it again stewing on Luke eleven so much here at Res lately. Give us our daily bread. Give us today what we need. I think to the end of hallowing your name and your kingdom come. So whether that's I've got an abundance to steward. Give me the daily wisdom, discernment, guidance that I need in order to steward this. Or a cult's come to town. Lord, how would you have us address this? What would you have us do? What's the strategy that you want us to employ? Because if we're not depending in that way, then I think sometimes we end up um, in what you might call misguided zeal. Yeah. Which, you know, that gets, that gets a lot of people in trouble. You know, I think it led Peter to cut off a guy's ear when it was time for Jesus to be arrested. <laughs> yeah. And he wept bitterly about that. Yeah. So 
I, I just I don't want to I don't I want to be zealous, but I don't want to be misguided in my right. zeal. You see, um, you see in Scripture different people who are right for different tasks. Right? You see Paul in the Areopagus having debates with people in public. Yep. Uh, you see other people not doing that, mm. where some people are more so. It's almost like the uh, the guy in the corner at a boxing match for Paul. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have guys like that. You have people who are doing the behind the scenes work of laying groundwork ahead of time. Right. So there's all different manner methods and manners in which you can counteract whatever cult you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, or even just bad doctrine in general. Like if, you know, prosperity stuff is sweeping through an area or something like that. You know, you know, one of the things that's sad to me. And no, I hope but not- you're going to tell me. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what, what I could do about it at all, but I don't see, at least in the West, the kind of biblical unity and harmony that I think would be so helpful between the academy and the local church. Yeah. It's just not there. It's like, it's like, to me, it feels like our scholars, our good scholars our good our people that are that are really gifted in the you know the realm of debate and they seem in in large part to me and i i'm i'm very open to being told i'm wrong they seem in large part disconnected from the local church we might admire them at a distance at a conference mhm but i don't necessarily or we or we we watch them on youtube and we're fascinated but it doesn't I don't know. It doesn't feel like we're working together. Yeah. And and in in the case of like a cult coming to town and doctrine need to needing to be contended for, that's not to say that the average ordinary everyday Christian can't do that. I think they can. I think the Bible's meant to be read by everyone. God intended it to be read and understood not just by the scholars, but by everyone. But I do think God gifts the body of Christ with teachers, and I'm a teacher in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. I'm not on the same level at, uh, academically as a James White or an R.C. Sproul or a John Piper. Now, R.C. Sproul and John Piper pastored churches, so that might be that might be a mm-hmm. you know an example of where the two do come together. Yeah. Well, White White is an elder at Apologia now. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. And so he, there, I'm, I'm open to right. being told I'm wrong. Yeah. So one, one of his big things is he hates seeing what he calls the lone wolf apologist. Yeah. Uh, he's like, no, you need to be rooted in a local church. So they are, you're definitely right. They're out there. I, I remember, I think it was Brian Onkin that told me about a professor that was maybe overseeing uh, his doctorate his dissertation um and the guy told him the guy was a pastor of a local church and he was a a professor at the university uh and was also a a, you know pretty widely published author and he told brian he's like i don't know i don't know how to connect these different spheres of my life you know i can't pastor in the academy and i can't i can't be academic in the local church and Brian just talks about how sad that is that, yeah. that that kind of distinction existed. So I just would like to see more harmony in the body of Christ between yeah. the academy and the local church where 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 pastors 
I think pastor teacher is pretty much the same and it's, it's synonymous in the New Testament. But I do think there are levels of scholarship that can be very helpful in the local church. And oh, I yeah. would love to see the local church as a whole embrace those scholars who are also embracing the local church and don't see themselves as right. in a different category um, than the rest of the body of Christ. And, and I think maybe it's it's appropriate to advocate for a Chestertonian approach of yeah. of anything worth doing is worth doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna screw it up. Like it's just a fact. Yeah. Uh, you know, and especially if you're doing something for the first time, it's it it really comes down to just go do it. Yeah. You know, uh, encourage that in your church. Encourage the deep thinking, and, and you know, like don't dissuade people from that. No. And, and we and we don't hear it res. No. Um, and you know, maybe this is where the local church has been influenced so much by the and and obviously we've gotten significantly far away from this here is the pastor's not a ceo right and if the pastor's a ceo then there's then you're not going to be raising up leaders from within Mm -hmm. you're always going to be looking without which you know just contributes even more it's a spiral of the celebrity pastor culture yes it's not the church being a community of believers encouraging Mm -hmm. and teaching each other yep some of whom are nerdier than than others, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but but you have uh, you know this guy in this particular city with his enormous church, and this mm. guy with his enormous church in this other city, mm. you know, and you know they <laughs> they have some kind of gentleman's agreement. I'm not going to encroach on your territory for another campus and all this mm, kind of stuff. Exactly. And uh, which ugh, I, I feel like I need to take a shower just thinking about that. But <laughs> the church just needs to do a better job of raising up leaders from within and encouraging things like scholarship or yes. even just deeper thinking, deeper writing, and all that kind of stuff. Fully agree. Uh, last question. This is a really important question from Drew Smizer. And it's about something I was very upset about recently. And he asks Did Freddie Freeman go to the Dodgers? of his own free will or did God harden his heart? <laughs> he uh God is sovereign over baseball. He is sovereign over baseball, including free agent signings, including the break of a curveball. I'm not I'm not really like that well read in terms of what went down between the Braves and Freddie Freeman, but I'm almost inclined to say that the that God hardened the Braves organization heart to an extent. Uh, I mean, I know Freddie Freeman could have yeah. signed what pre COVID they could have done an extension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think he didn't. And then COVID hits and the Braves are like, we're, we're not ready to negotiate now. Cause we don't know what's going to happen with empty stands and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then they find that they're in a surplus of cash and I think prior to this world championship, they they might could have made him an offer and settled this thing. Right. They did make him an offer, uh, but but he turned it down. Right. So he's thirty two this season, and he really wanted a six year deal, which would take him through his age thirty eight season. Yep. Right. Uh, the Braves were only willing to give him five, and so he ended up with the Dodgers with that sixth year, but taking into account. One, the state taxes are triple that of Georgia in California. Um, and I think actually his average annual value compared to what the Braves were offering is a little bit less, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Um, so here's the spicy take for it. 
my friend Kenneth Ledford posited this theory, and I think he's right. I think it was his wife. She wants to go back to California. Right. She wanted to go back to California. And I get it. Freddie's from Southern California as well. Yep. Uh, but men usually aren't that wishy-washy on a decision. If you really want to be somewhere and you're talking about one year difference, like, let's go do the thing. Hmm. Maybe I'm, maybe that's what it is. I'm maybe pretty, she's ready to go back. I'm pretty convinced he got nagged into it. <laughs> I've, always, so. I've always gotten creepy vibes from her. Anytime. But I tell you this. I do think the I Braves see. have gotten younger. Yeah. And maybe better. Maybe better. They're going to be mean, scary good this year. I mean, man, I, I I hope they – I the last several years have made us feel like, well, let's don't get too excited. Right. But after last year, it's almost like maybe, yeah, let's get excited because yeah. well, they, they might be actually – The bullpen will give up zero runs this year. Yeah. Like <laughs> signing Kenley Jansen and Colin McHugh on top of the guys that they already had. Uh, my one question mark is the rotation – I want to see a little more depth there because, like, one, two, three is already going to be good with Morton Anderson and Soroka. Like, yep. that's filthy. Yep. So then, four or five, like, who do we have? Um, we'll see about that. Um, but then, no, I'm sorry, not Soroka because he's coming back from the Achilles. Uh, Freed. Freed, yeah. Yeah, my bad. Uh, but then, like, the lineup, the only, the only difference is plugging in Matt Olson with Freddie Freeman in the infield. Yep. It's we're gonna have some fun this year, so, and then like the carries, the carryovers from last year. Acuna is gonna be back in late April. He's gonna be fine. You got Adam Duvall and then Eddie Rosario slash Marcelo Zuna and in the Austin, DH spot, uh, and Austin Riley's still yeah. at third. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're gonna have a fun year. Yeah, I it, think so. Yeah, I think so. so it's sad to lose Freddie Freeman, but it really, really was. Uh, you know. I still think they should retire his number in the long run. I do run. too. I mean, he he he's earned every right to be right there yeah. alongside Dale Murphy and uh, Chipper, Chipper Jones. Not he's not quite Chipper level just because he won't be there as long. That's right? true. But they both got us a World Series. Both somebody was telling me guys. that Chipper Chipper called him out. And did. Pot- you did you tell yeah. me that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He called him out. He told him. He's like, look, if you don't go ahead and settle this now, you're going to get into free agency, and all those teams are going to look like pretty girls trying to get with you. Yeah, and you're not going to be able to say no, and you won't you won't be back. And then it happened. I know so. he's from California, and I guess his wife is too. But, but why would you want to go back to California? I don't, I don't understand that. No offense to any people in California that listen to this thing. Bless but, their hearts. You know, come join your fellow. Uh, refugees from the West in South Carolina. Yes. I, but you actually don't do that because Greenville's getting too crowded. Yeah. No, nobody comes any, comes here anymore. It's too crowded, as yeah. the great Yogi Berra once said. Yeah. So, so, all right. So, oh, I need to announce that. All right. Casey Starnes, you want a Knox version two? Email me, WestminsterFX at gmail.com. We'll get you set up. So, on Congrats. that. Congrats. Yeah. Go love God, love your neighbor, make some music. We'll see you next week.